Hello, welcome back. I want to start off by saying thank you to those that have listened to the last two episodes. And if you haven't, please feel free to go back and check them out whenever you get a chance. Moving right along, today I'm being joined by three guests. I have my CEO, pretty much co-host at this point, Merger Wilson. My XO, think of him second in command, Captain Sabia. And I was fortunate to be able to get Staff Sergeant Gomez, who is a PSR recruiter for the Atlanta area, to come in today. And uh, I'm going to start off with you, Staff Sergeant Gomez, the PSR recruiter. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Just kind of tell the listeners what 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 you do, you know, what you do on a day to day. Just give them a little insight about about prior service recruiting as well. All right. Well, thank you for having me um, as a prior service recruiter. I really don't like that title. I prefer prior service liaison. Um, and I'll tell you here in a second why. Um, so my day to day job operation, um, pretty much I reach out to former Marines, i.e. Marines that are in the IR, Marines that, you know, served four or five or eight years in the Marine Corps and decided to either transfer to a different branch or get out. Um, so I facilitate them coming back into the Marine Corps either as a reservist or active. And by active, I mean the active reserve program, which is another component of the Marine Corps Reserve. Uh, so I reach out to them via phone call, via email, or if I meet them on the streets. Um, and then I pretty much facilitate um, the transition for them. And I do that in the sense of I find out what their MOSs are. First, I pre-screen them to make sure they do qualify, and then I find out what their MOSs are. Then I let them know, hey, these are your options. This is what the Marine Corps Reserve has to offer you as far as duty station, duty location, and benefits. Uh, we discuss that, and then after that, the Marine makes a decision on what he, he or she wants to do. That's In a nutshell, that's pretty much what I do. Yeah, and then you so you say you contact them, and if someone was interested in rejoining the Marine Corps, they're coming from a different branch and want to join the Marine Corps, how can they reach their local PSR recruiter? What's the best way? All right. So the best way, um, like I said, if there were Marines before or they're different branch. Different branch Marines. and Okay. You know. if, if, if they were Marines before um, and they're just trying to come back as a reservist, yeah, they will contact me. Phone number 404-518-8268. <laughs> Say that again. 404-518-8268. Atlanta area? That's for Atlanta area. Correct. That's for the Atlanta area. Correct. Uh, they can contact me regardless of whatever they're in and I'll point them in the right direction. Gotcha. And I'm pretty sure you could just Google PSR recruiter. Um, in your local area and you're going to find one now i kind of want to talk about why are these if someone contacts you why are they contacting you to join the marines like what are their their motivators to come back uh into an organization that they decided that they don't want to be a part of at some point in their life well every applicant is different so every applicant has their own um circumstance of why they want to come back in some of them is just the benefits i try care you know, uh, health insurance and dental insurance. For others, it's just a retirement benefit. And the number one for most of the applicants that I talk to is camaraderie. You know, they just miss the brotherhood in the Marine Corps is different from any brotherhood out there, whether it's civilian or the other branch of service. It's just not, not the same. So the biggest number one that I always hear from an applicant is they just miss being part of this brotherhood or sisterhood. And that's one of the biggest reasons why they want to wear the uniform again. Yeah, I think that's... Uh big reason as why marines stay in just the pride of being a marine um what are some reasons as to when you contact a prior service marine um they were turned down the opportunity to come back and join um civilian opportunities i that they have a good civilian job um they actually um, have themselves uh, stable in the civilian world once they transition from their active duty time or obligated reserve time um and therefore they, they don't see the marine corps as a as a need for them at the moment right. um some of them like i said for the retirement benefits of their health care dental insurance they like to stick around and do both but for some of them they just see this as uh for lack of better terms uh, an impediment in their in their in their lifestyle and their career um that they choose to do um so that's one of the, kind of the reasons why they don't want to come back or reaffiliate 
Yeah, I find it it's it's kind of crazy how in a, a span of four years you get you could have a recruiter, not necessarily convinced, you know, but um, just convince the person it's himself herself that you know the Marine Corps is the what 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 they need at that time, right? Then they join in, they go through boot camp, do all the moto stuff, and then four years how they are able just to easily change. Maybe maybe not easily. Um, but how they're able to change their mind and then just say, you know what, it's not for me. Um, do you now? I'm I'm gonna ask you, gentlemen, a question. Do you think the Marine Corps faces a retention issue at the moment, or do you think they'll face a retention issue here in in the coming years? I think we can all say, you know, we have... your mic is not on, sir. By the way, sorry about that. I think we can all say that we have retention challenges. I think we have to look at what is a problem, you know, because we talked about this before. One of General Neller's, you know, responsibilities of Mecro was to return quality citizens. So I could argue that we're doing that really well. Now, does that create a problem with retention? Absolutely. But is that a problem, you know? So that's kind of, you got to watch what you say there and what you mean. Um, okay. You should be able to talk now. Good. Yes, sir. All right. What's up, McGee? How you doing? Doing all right. We just had a uh, Stephen to IC come yeah. into the office, but uh, we're talking about retention. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come in, come in. All right. Listen. So, so what I was saying, um, I think we can honestly all say that that re- retention in the Marine Corps is a challenge, and I see that just from the recruiting side, the, the non-prior service recruiting side, because that's what makes our mission. You know, we're trying to fill the bathtub without um, plugging the drain. Um, but I, I honestly don't know if that's a bad thing. One of the things that I run into with, with parents, I guess I'll say influencers all the time, I think they look at the military the wrong way. They look at this thing you go to instead of a thing you go through. And I always explain to them, you don't go to college, you go through college. And I think the Marine Corps is the same way. I'm the anomaly in the room. I'm the, the career Marine. And for most of the people in this room, that's probably not your story. And, you know, I'm less than, as an officer, I'm probably less than 10% of the officer corps. That's gonna stay in the Marine Corps for for to retirement. So, I think it's just a part of doing business. And we now, I think we have to adapt our recruiting model to support that, and adapt our retention model because I think there's a lot of Marines getting out that shouldn't get out, and that's where you come into play. You probably meet them every day, guys that made a mistake. So my question would be to the Marine Corps is, why is he having to re-recruit people? that we should have never let go in the first place. So, you, so what you're saying, so we, we're talking about revamping the recruit, recruiting model, is it, well, for the, for those that are still in the Marine Corps, right? Yeah. And just in a... In a well, the, the, a, and for non-prior service right. recruiting too. So how would, you, how would you do that? Or how, what would be your approach to it? Just, I, think, I, mean, I think what we're would, doing right now, having a real honest conversation about why Marines leave the Marine Corps. Because the truth of the matter is, there's some stuff that we say in these rooms and amongst ourselves eating lunch, that as a Marine Corps, we're not ready to talk about. And one of them, I'll throw it out. How many of our Marines are getting out of the Marine Corps because they are unsatisfied with the leadership that's in charge of them? That's something we gotta talk about. I, I, I did, uh, I was thinking, I was thinking last night or the other, the, sometime this week, how there aren't many places in the Marine Corps where you have a sergeant that is having these kind of conversations with officers. That's yeah. unfortunate. Because guess what the sergeant can provide me? 
I'm the person in a lot of cases that are making the policy, creating the climate, and is sometimes directly leading that sergeant that will lead to him or her leaving the Marine Corps. So if I can't get direct feedback and understand what may I may be doing or not doing to make them feel like they need to leave, the system's broken right there, my opinion. <laughs> it's like, sir, we we're having a conversation about at that one time about how as leaders, we don't do a good job at screening our Marines for potential officership. Oh, we, yeah. And we never yep. have those conversations Absolutely. with our Marines about like, hey, devil, I think you're good enough. You're officer material. Yeah. And, and we don't really do that. And we don't look inward. And I think we do the same thing with retention is we don't have those hard conversations about, hey, you know, why are you getting out? Because definitely like apathy and uh, frustration when I was a company commander, Frustration with leadership and apathy were two of the biggest things, just their heart wasn't in anymore um, or, you know, they had a bad experience. And, and that's frustrating because, you know, the advice that was given to me was, you know, give it two duty stations before you decide yeah. whether or not to stay in because, you know, bad leaders come and go. So I think it's fortunate, but I think you're right, sir. I think it's not us as even, um, you know, me as a, as a mid-career leader and you as a senior leader. It's conversations that we don't have with these NCOs and younger Marines about. Uh, it's just a hard conversation to have sometimes, and, and sometimes we don't do a good job at doing that ourselves. You kind of open up a, a, you know, a whole nother door to this conversation, and it's about being the change that you wish to see. So what I love to see, I've got a, I just got an email yesterday from one of the best Marines I've ever served with, a staff sergeant, uh, Oscar Franquez. He's a MARSOC guy, asking me for a letter of recommendation. It's the second conversation we had about it for him to put in a MISO package. And this guy right here, like, this is a guy that needs to be a Marine officer, but will he? And I'm pointing at uh, Staff Sergeant McGee. Whether he does or doesn't, that's not a knock on him, but they're Marines who need to be the change they wish to see. And I think as a Marine Corps, as an officer corps, as a senior enlisted corps, we are not sitting down and looking Marines in the face that we know need to make a change to this corps at a level of a commissioned officer and saying that to them. I try to do my best, but I can tell you I haven't done a good enough job. Um, so I think a lot of people who get out because of frustrations with the Marine Corps, if they were shown an opportunity to change those circumstances, they might actually do it. And sometimes that's becoming an uh, officer. Sometimes that's just staying in and, and getting to the next rank. Right. I kind of want to go back to the, the recruiting model because I was having a conversation with a recruiter yesterday about how the Marine Corps doesn't put money towards recruiting up front right because there's there's very far and few bonuses that i guess for someone that's and then i have a recruiter here that could correct me if i'm wrong um when someone is you know trying to join the marine corps for the first time a bonus a the max bonus someone might get is five ten thousand dollars right and then that's very probably few far in between yeah so i i have by the way this is a uh, staff sergeant mcgee he kind of just walked in and i just uh, i just asked him a question but <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, I mean, right now, if I remember correctly, our highest level bonus is going to be like 8000 Um But that's not something that we're going to be talking to somebody about specifically, like, in the initial interview. Right, right, because if you're just doing this for the bonus, go join the Army. Whip. But I was having an argument because the Army, no one just a discussion, uh, the Army up front, they'll give someone potentially up to, what, $40,000 is from what I've heard for... Yeah, so that's crazy. So they're going to join the infantry contract and they're going to get $40,000. I'm pretty sure if, if they can make it through their course. Um, and the Marine Corps does it a little bit differently where we don't get the money up front. But when you're in the Marine Corps, 
they might throw a bonus towards your job. Um, I know one of the, I was, I think I was looking at the more admin the other day and counter Intel was getting about like $80,000 to reenlist. And then I kind of have to ask myself if that's because they have trouble retaining counter Intel, Intel Marines, or is there a different reason why we're throwing so much money at these guys? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that retaining is, retaining them is hard. Um, if you do have a valuable skill that you can take with you to the outside world, which I would say most Marines do, um, but some of them are obviously more valuable than others, uh, you gotta you gotta face whether or not I think I think there's really two things we brought up earlier. You know that that issue of like, hey, when when you're looking at the leadership in front of you, do you want to be there, right? Like, and and I can specifically remember. Um, it was actually just after I enlisted or sorry, re-enlisted and I was heading off to McMap and we walked out of this barracks in Thailand and there was, you know, a couple of, couple of staff and COs sitting around playing cards. And I distinctly remember thinking like, I never want to be sitting at a table with those guys. Yeah. And then I was going to, I was about to say, should it be, shouldn't the individual, you know, if they're, they have such toxic leadership. You know, try to stay in and give back a better product to the Marines that they're eventually going to be leading in the future. Well, because you could have two different mindsets. You could be, you know what, you know, F my leadership. I'm going to get out. No one cares about me. Or you could be like, you know what, I don't want to be like them. I'm going to be better than them. Yeah. So that's a huge thing to tackle because um, there's a there's a lot of people. But, you know, on the on the other side, there's also just the the pace of life. Right. So like if you're going to be that change, like you have a massive obstacle to uh, to try to overcome. Um, I was on the verge like I did that reenlistment package for. You know, in case my mind changed or something like that, and uh, I pretty much wasn't going to sign it. And one of my very, very good friends. Uh, looked at me and he was like, "Hey, you know what happens if all the good Marines get out?" Now, I'm not God's gift to the Marine Corps or anything like that, but um, I think that was the that was the thing that tipped it. Right? Is what happens to this entire organization if those people that really don't like anything about what potentially the next 10, 15 years of their life is going to look like um, in terms of like their their peers and the way that the staff and CEO Corps of the Marine Corps conducts itself. Um, you got to be ready to face that, and uh, but think about what that can do for, you know, the lethality of the force, uh, the experience that that people have. Like you can seriously change people's lives in the Marine Corps, uh, for the better or worse, if you're willing to tackle that challenge. So, um, you know, I guess the Marine Corps solves that or attempts to solve that with with money, but it has to be solved at a more um, you know, at the lower level by the people that are going to be staying in or getting out or whatever. Yeah, and on the officer side, there's a challenge too because it's kind of like you said, to, to get to that position of being in what I would argue is a greater position of influence and having a greater sphere of influence, i.e. like battalion command, right? There's a lot of hurdles you got to go through. There's a lot of, a lot of slog to get to that point. And, and at the end, and it, it's worth it in every way because you, your reach is, is very far and wide ranging. Um, but I can tell you on the officer side, a lot of my peers that got out were just exhausted. And uh, it, it's, it's tough on our side of the house sometimes to, to constantly be on like that. 
and then deal with potentially toxic leadership at the at the field grade officer level um and then be turned around and expect to like slog it out for another you know seven eight more years just to be able to get to that time when you can be the change you want to see and a lot of captains get exhausted and, and their and their prospects in the civilian community kind of go up with every year of experience you get and, and it's very challenging institutionally to get to a position to where you can say hey i am now the change i want to see but you're right it's kind of like an ethical debate that even i go through as, as somebody who's not at the 10-year hump yet you know i'm comfortable to be able to separate at the end of this tour but you know, do, do I want to continue to go on so I can, again, like you said, Staff Sergeant, I'm not God's gift to the Marine Corps, but do I want to be able to continue on to try and be as positive I can? Or, or is it just, you know, ah, man, I can, I can do a little bit more in the civilian world or something like that. So it's a challenge on our end, too. So I got a question. I'll, I'll, I'll pose it uh, to Staff Sergeant Gomez over here, um, but to everybody, but you starting off. One of the things that I find challenging is the balance between um, all the, and let, let me change that up. I'm, I'm going to ask it clearer. One of the things I've seen and found personally challenging is what the Marine Corps wants from me at di- or wanted from me at different points in my career, it changes. So what they wanted from second Lieutenant Wilson would literally get me arrested right now. And no one really tells you those changes and you kind of learn them by default. So I think that kind of creates a challenge for that sergeant that's at the cusp of getting out. He's doing what he did as a good Lance Corporal, maybe even as a good Corporal. But now that's not necessarily what the Marine Corps wants from him. And he finds himself in that paradox of, well, how do I be a good sergeant? So I've experienced that. Thoughts in the room. Do you think that that's a part of it, that the Marine Corps changes what they want from you and doesn't really tell you? Because I definitely feel that way. I, I agree, sir. I mean, I think we all go through that. Um, me personally, as a young sergeant, even a senior sergeant, I did certain things, like you said, that probably now as a staff sergeant gets me in trouble. And I had a hard time transitioning. Um, I had a sergeant major uh, who asked me that question when I was selected. You know, what do you think is going to be the difference between you as a sergeant and you as a staff sergeant? My answer was nothing. Right. He's like, let me guess, because you think you've been doing staff and CO things. Yep. I was like, correct. So I think uh, the transition should be easy. He said, you know what the difference is? What you wear in your collar. As a sergeant, you were doing staff and CO things. And if you did them correct, good on you. If you didn't, no harm, no foul, because you were a sergeant. Now, as a staff sergeant, we expect you to continue to do staff and CO things. But now if you do mess up, now we're going to hold you accountable to it. So, I mean, that, that transition right there is something nobody tells you. It's kind of like OJT, like you find out once you're there. And it's hard to just grasp the concept and move to it. Some Marines are easier than others, you know, in uh, finding that. Um, but I think, I think the biggest problem to tie it in a little bit to the conversation you were having earlier, uh, earlier was the value of to the Marine. Yeah. I, think, I think Marines find themselves valuable. And the moment that they feel they're not valuable anymore, either into the organization or the unit they're with, that's the moment they decide, hey, I want to get out. And, and it comes back to that leadership issue we were saying where, you know, we're quick to reprimand, but we're not quick to award. You know, the, the, a big thing that I see in saying that, you kind of like you took my thoughts and articulated them better than I thought I think I could have, is, that, you know, you break out the benefit tax, right? I, I don't remember which ones I picked when I was a you know, young applicant, officer candidate, or applicant to be officer candidate. But those tags that I picked are not the reason that I woke up today and came to work. So at a point, unencouraging commitment are just words. 
They're real great slogans, but they're just words. And at some point, that's not enough to make me want to continue being a Marine. A Marine, And I don't think we as a Marine Corps do a good job of making the Marine want to sustain why he wakes up every day. I love the Marine Corps. I love America. I, you know, mom baseball and apple pie. That's not why I'm in the Marine Corps. <laughs> I'm in the Marine Corps because I believe in trying to give the best leadership that I can to the young men and women. The Marine Corps is nothing. It's us. And I think we, we, we sell somebody on the Marine Corps and we give them that for a little while and then it changes and we never adjust our message. You know, none of us are sitting here for the same reasons that we joined. But has the Marine Corps ever adjusted the enticement for us to stay? Some cases, and, and, yeah. And that's true because what do we always tell our Marines when they're talking about getting out? Well, hey, what did you join for? Yeah. And what did, do you remember way back when? Remember that's that not, when you try and regreen them in the fleet? Yeah. That's what I mean. I'm guilty of it. That's my default is, hey, remember why you joined? Like, is this not what you signed up for? And, and inevitably, the answer is always no, this is not what I signed up for. But that's a really good point, sir. And I didn't even think about that because you're right. If you ask me, why did I join? Well, I joined to prove something, but that is not why I've stayed in the Marine Corps. I'm, sure. I'm done proving something. I'm, I have the title, I, you know. I, at this point, I'm a captain. I should be a little bit confident in my uh, comfortable in my own skin. So I think that's a really profound point on when we talk to Marines. We always want to default to, hey, do you remember why you joined? But that could be actually different while they're still sitting in front of you today. To tie into that, um, personal values. You know, everybody grew up in a different household, was raised different, we have different values. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, Staff Sergeant, but usually when you, uh, you know, go out there and find a new applicant, as 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 a recruiter, you talk to them and you figure out what their values are, how they would bring in that household, and you try to tie those values into the institutional values, right? So when they join the Marine Corps at that point in time, 17, 18 year old, their values are aligned with institutional values. Unfortunately, and this is where I see the challenge coming, and it's not even yes. us, it's from the upper level, where administration changes, you know, and this is coming from like the White House, administration changes, then it gets dished down to Joint Chiefs of Staff and down, you know, to the lower level. So when it comes to time, especially if you're trying to do this for 20 years, stuff is going to change over the course of time. Your personal values at one point in time are not going to be aligned with the institutional values. Why? Because we say the institutional values never change, but they do adjust. And unfortunately, like, like Captain here said, when you join, yeah, I joined to prove myself that I can become a Marine. I did four years of it. I'm done. I want to go. You might be the stellar Marine. You want, you know, we want to retain you, but what other challenge can we give you? What other stuff can we align to your values? And I think at times the leadership fails to adjust. It comes back to rules and regulations. We have a lot of rules and regulations that some we enforce, some we don't enforce, but then there's certain things that we should just change. And we're just either hesitant or strong-binded that we don't want to change. And, and the reason is, it's, it's 2019, about to be 2020. Why don't we change some of these rules? You know, it comes back to the last podcast with your gun control, you know? There are certain things that just need to change with time. And as an institution that's been around for a long time, we sometimes fail to do that. Like I said, it's something that has to start from the top. Because at the lower level, we can have this conversation all day, but it falls on deaf ears. What's, what's that, one, that one thing that we always, uh, that we say, uh, when something changes, Timber Gumby, always flexible? <laughs> oh. I think also what I heard there is that the commandant needs to listen to the podcast or something. Yeah, sure does. Sure does. <laughs> keep it, keep, we keep it real here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We say that a lot. Now, Abe, okay, let me, uh, I know me and the good staff are here. We were having a conversation as to what happens when a Marine has decided that they want to get out. 
You mean what? Like, what does the Marine Corps' reaction to that? Correct. What is the what and what is their immediate leaders now? I'll give you guys my thoughts on on on, on it afterwards. I think we all say the same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'll say it. I think I think we get angry when Marines want to leave. I think specifically officers. I mean, man, you hundred percent, yeah, hundred like, percent. Like it is you you get you get treated like you've done something wrong. So and that's <laughs> and and sir, so that, again, I oftentimes tell you I'm really not blowing smoke up your butt. But the one thing is that I appreciated when you sat down with me when I first came in was you asked me what my career plans were. And I said I was on the fence, and you told me that I was okay. And that was like one of the first times a feel-great officer had been like, that's okay to not know whether or not you want to stay in. You told me every time you've taken orders, you've had to personally have an internal yeah. debate about if this was it or not. Literally, before I came here, I made a decision whether I wanted to stay in the Marine Corps. And I'll do the same thing when I leave here. And the fact that I'll be at 16 years is irrelevant. You know, that's my yeah. chance to leave if I want to, and I will take a true assessment. And, and so, I, I, a lot of times, this is why, especially in in amongst the captain ranks, we we keep our our future plans close to the chest yeah. because it's almost like you you can't be vulnerable because you don't want to be the guy that C just gets dumped on. And I feel some of our junior Marines probably feel the same way. They don't want to be the dude who's on you know motor pool freaking cleanup parties every night because they know that they're not they're getting out, and that's where they so can I'll, be done. I'll give you some some real inside baseball here. I just had a conversation with a senior enlisted leader, no one in this RS, that I needed to be cautious about communicating my desires to retire from the Marine Corps at 20 years because there were people that I was pissing off by saying that openly. Me. Now, guys, let's be real for a second. I could leave the Marine Corps right now and I have given everything this organization has ever demanded of me above and beyond the call of duty. I should not have to be apologetic that I plan to retire when I'm 42 years old after a career as a military officer. The fact that a senior enlisted member of our organization felt the need to tell me to be cautious about communicating that openly tells you everything that's wrong with what we're talking about. I'm the major. Think about the Lance Corporal. Mm-hmm. Think about the sergeant. And you know, I'll tell you, I'll be again, I'll be very honest with you. A lot of the the resistance that I've encountered when I have a conversation about what's next is I encounter people or groups of people who have a vision for what my career is with respect to the Marine Corps. And while I love the Marine Corps, I love my wife and kid more. And I don't really care if the Marine Corps sees XYZ for me in the future if it does not fit with the needs of those two people. And I think we do that often. I'll look at McGee right here and say, you need to stay in the Marine Corps for the good of the Marine Corps and for the good of yourself. I'm not that selfish. And then when he tells me, absolutely not, I'm going to go work for Boeing and make real money and do whatever, then I get mad at him. And, and I mean, that doesn't make That's any sense. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't compute because you should be happy yes. for him for moving on to something because you go through the Marine Corps. Exactly. Here you go. I mean, it, it, it's, it's funny that you say that because that's something we should celebrate. Like, this is a success story. This is successful. It's what General Neller said. <laughs> Return quality, quality citizen. And it's, you know, going to a job that's equally going to make him happy. It's crazy when you think about it. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> my, only, my only piece on that, right, is that when, I mean, when you see those dudes that are, that are really good, I mean, you, we're not going to retain everybody, and there are only so many spots. You see those guys that are really good leave. That means that you're ultimately going to have to settle for someone else. That's true. And you can be happy for that person. I know. Ne- I never really saw any, uh, you know, anybody like getting mad uh, in the units that I was in about somebody getting out. But 
you know, it, <clears throat> I, I've, I've felt a certain type of way when somebody that I know would be very good for this organization leaves. Uh, I don't know that I would say that I was necessarily mad at them, but it's, you know, it's not the best feeling knowing that somebody else that maybe needs the Marine Corps more than the Marine Corps needs them is going to take that spot. I feel kind of shitty. I feel kind of shitty about it if if someone told me it was like, hey, just not happy, and I'm gonna leave the Marine Corps, and that I, there's nothing that I could do to to change his mind, right? I feel kind of shitty what, about it. I think what we're talking about, it goes. We just got a note slipped <laughs> so under. Just the keep door. it real. Oh, the note that just slipped under the door said, "Just keep it real." <laughs> so we're just gonna try to keep it real here. <laughs> that, that note's from Staff Sergeant. Yeah, Fister. from Staff Sergeant Fister. <laughs> um, I think we're going back to kind of where we started, and we're we're kind of deconstructing. Are we talking about a problem? Are we talking about a problem that people get out of the Marine Corps simply because they get out at a high rate? I, I don't really know if that's a problem. I think it is, and it goes back to the recruiting model and the retention model. If it is a problem, it's only a problem because the systems that we have in place to deal with it are not as efficient as we see fit. So I can, I can solve retention right now. Check this out. Recruit more people, train them faster. Who cares about how many people we retain? Really? We'll be well, the then, army. Yeah, but, then but I mean, that's ridiculous, but right, think right. about it. Like, that would that not... We would not be talking about retention if we wrote more contracts and boot camp was, was three weeks long. Problem solved. So I don't know if we have a problem. I think the system we have to uh, deal with it may just not be ideal. Here's another one. Here's some radical stuff. You say I'm, I'm radical. Hey, let's just make the Marine Corps smaller. Retention problem solved. I mean, that was the idea, wasn't it? To get the 186 or 182, whatever we were going down to from the 202. And, and let's remember, guys, what was it? Four years ago, we were like throwing people out of the Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah they had, they right. had, uh, Veer, Veer, they were <laughs> yeah, giving, so voluntary early release program, they were giving to Lance criminal, like actual Lance corporals that were criminals, <laughs> and verping them out. And it was supposed to be a reward for Marines who had done a good job. And battalion commanders were just like, verp them out yeah. of the Marine Corps. And they had the OVER, the officer, officer voluntary early release program. And, uh, I mean, yeah, they were throwing dudes out the door. So I, I, I'm, with, I'm, I'm within the same thought as you, sir. I don't necessarily know that I would say it's a problem. I think it becomes a problem when, you know, we've talked before. We, we do a lot way above and beyond what normal civilian employers would ever do for people. We, you know, we're marriage counselors. We're, count, we're just general counselors. We're, we're everything as leaders that, that, that these Marines need for us at that time. Sometimes, heck, uh, Sergeant Major's the chaplain, right? Um, <laughs> But I think it becomes a problem when it's that quality citizen piece. If you haven't at least, I'm not saying you have to find your Marines a job, but if you haven't done your due diligence as a leader to at least give them the tools they need, yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but we have a tendency to drown the Marines in the water when they don't want to drink. If they need to separate and they want to go live with mom and dad, so be it. But they need to understand the realities of what that will look like. And I think that's when it becomes a problem is when we're failing to help them basically make I hate to say good decisions, but to, you know, to give them the tools to make good career decisions when they get out of the Marine Corps. I think, I think we're doing something and I, I'm going to try to correct it because somebody right now is listening and they're about to clap when I say this. We're bypassing a central element of this conversation. Regardless of if too many people are getting out or if they're getting out too fast, it's why are they getting out? And are those reasons acceptable reasons? I don't care why anyone leaves the Marine Corps or when you leave the Marine Corps. 
I do care if you're leaving because we have not created an environment or a desire to stay. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Let's let's let's, let's talk about that. Me and the me and the good staff sergeant just you know let's go back to the conversation we're having right before the podcast. Um, if you go on Google right now and you pull up, you could just pull up, you could just type in headquarters Marine Corps retention. A PowerPoint is gonna come up, and it's gonna it's gonna give you the breakdowns for FY16 and uh, about you know how many Marines are eligible for enlistment and. They surveyed those uh, 38,000 that were eligible for reenlistment that year. And out of those that were surveyed, I think about 38, about 2,500 responded. But of, of those 2,500 that responded, there was 45% of Marines that knew that they wanted to stay in the Marine Corps. And then there was another 45% that knew that they didn't want to stay in the Marine Corps. Pretty much. And then there's another 10% that said, hey, you know what? I'm, un- I'm uncertain. And then if you look at the trend from 2000, because they show trends from 2013 till 2016 or 2014, it was um, the number of Marines that do not want to reenlist keeps increasing. And then it just goes back to your question. Why? Well, one, one of the, the common reasons was um, civilian opportunities. If I guess someone... Um, Someone just believes that they could make more money, do less. And uh, one of the, the, the second reason for that year was uh, the number of hours they worked. So, I mean, I mean, and, and, and of, of course, in some places you're, you're going to work more. It, 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 it is what it is. Uh, the third one was uh, this one was weird. It was like housing availability uh, for families, something like that. I didn't really understand that one. That was a reason. Yeah, yeah, it was it was weird, which is it 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 kind of threw me off. To to give you some context for that one, if they're referring to housing, uh, just so so I lived on base for five years in on base housing, and uh, my house that I lived in, I was recently informed is condemned with black mold, uh, and a tree fell down in the front yard. So that's probably what people are referring to when they refer to base housing was housing that was built in like the twenties and still exists. Or or they might have just surveyed all the all the marines that were in Okinawa. In the, in, in the humidity so let, 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 i'm gonna go like real deep into this one right because i think when you start unpacking stuff like this you gotta have a you gotta have an intelligent conversation so we're sitting in a room there's two four six of us in here i'm not sure what your primary mos is but i'll just assume what it, okay cool so the the person with the most earning potential in this room is staff sergeant mcgee because he has a technical skill right now that he can lead the Marine Corps and make more money than everybody sitting in here. The, the, how does the Marine Corps combat that? Well, it's only a couple ways. One, I gotta compensate him. Uh, um, you know, I've gotta make him know that the Marine Corps is giving him enough money that he's comfortable. And I have to incentivize it by all the other stuff that makes the Marine Corps good. Healthcare, great child, beautiful houses, scenic places, so on and so forth. But with that, our force is increasingly becoming technically skilled. Right, the rifle squad is gonna have a systems operator in it. What is that guy gonna be? He's probably gonna be a cop com guy that can work satcom and fly drones. So as we can continue to increase the technical nature of our force, we're gonna start. We're gonna continue the trend of the civilian world being a lot more appealing financially. All right, because money starts. That's the start of the conversation. Right. So when McGee sees, well, I can make ninety grand right now, and then he throws on. Well, man, and I get a decent house and I can live in Houston, Texas. And he starts adding these things up. The Marine Corps starts to look real small. So 
we're almost hurting ourselves with the fact that we're creating more specialized individuals that have more attractive options financially, start point, and then it just morphs from there. So we're not saying, though, that like money then is the option, is it? Because I don't necessarily think having a robust... No, no, no. Retention no. incentive. Pro- Absolutely like, not. Okay. I'm right, saying yeah. that we're we're gonna continue to have this problem with respect. So it's only gonna get worse. Yeah, we're basically. getting we're okay. we're creating technical, more highly skilled technicians, and more highly skilled technicians is gonna lead to more people getting like to out. the same jobs as you you have out the, the technology sector that's yes. booming basically. Okay. Give us your thoughts, Steph Sarmagi. Looks like you got something to say. So, um, you know, to that. One of the one of the other big things that had an impact on me staying in the Marine Corps is the fact that we get to lead a lifestyle that you won't be able to do, even if you're making that extra money. Um, I mean, I I spent a lot of time out there in the Pacific, so we go to Japan, and then you know a couple months later we're in Thailand, and then another month later we're in Australia. Um, you know, and, and I think within the F-18 community, we're kind of unique because like our version of going to the field is going to like Key West, Florida or something like that. But um, maybe there's a way that we could focus on those experiences a little bit more that make them more enjoyable. That would be harder in, in the sense of doing something, you know, like yeah, infantry. Was, like so, I talk to Sergeant Bridwell all the time. And he's telling me about all these hikes he's doing right. at 29 Palms. I'm like, <laughs> probably hates his life, right? Awesome. So then what do we do with the Lance Corporal, right? So I'm admin 0111. The Lance Corporal that's sitting in the IPAC right now, that's been in for two years, and it's going to stay in the IPAC inbound section for his entire enlistment. And the most he's going to do is he's going to go to the rifle range once a year. Okay. Uh, do we know anything about individual augment billets? And maybe the Marine Corps could expand that kind of thing. Um, you know, that's something that I did uh, as a Lance Corporal. I was a little disappointed with, with some aspects of my job in the very beginning. Uh, but having that opportunity to go out to Afghanistan and, you know, live and work with the Afghan National Army. Uh, for you know a few months and have that really unique and rewarding experience um, I would say that, that contributes you know so yeah those dudes that and it happens to a lot of people where they get stuck somewhere and you're not gonna you're not gonna deploy you're not gonna go do those things um, maybe we could expand the individual augment program or make people aware of it I bet you there's a lot of people that don't exist exist at all but uh sorry no, Sorry, just just to cut you off right before you, um, Took a deep me breath. me and uh me and the staff back to our conversation we had right before we uh, started this podcast. We were talking about how if you are a valuable asset to your unit, right? If you're just a hard worker, you know what you're doing. What do leaders tend to do? They try to hold on to that marine and not yes. send them anywhere. Uh, so I was yeah. bad, So you, you were thinking the same thing. That's where my yeah. head was going. Mm-hmm. And and I think I was lucky in in at my time. I was still young enough that I didn't really know much, but they recognized some potential that I could come back and learn quickly, um, which is what tipped the scales and allowed me to be the one that went. When but, it's yeah, when it's vice versa, when we should, when a marine is doing good, you know, they're very knowledgeable, um, no issues. We should be rewarding them by sending them on these, I don't know, IA billets or sending them just wherever TAD somewhere cool, quote unquote cool. Anything but outside of the <laughs> anything outside of that 
But uh, that's not happening. Oh. So uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna use it. Sorry, sorry, Reggie, you, you want to use one of these? Santa Marine Corps got away from cross training and you know why is it that we have that one Marine in that one key position that's really good or gets it you know however we want to paint it you know versus three Marines <clears throat> four Marines you know cross pollinating cross training uh, so again I mean a lot of the issues that we see you know, in terms of, you know, who 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 gets that individual augment. Yeah, some some units it's it's the McGee type. Some units it's uh Marines don't even hear about the individual augment. Not at all. It doesn't even come down the pipe. Career planner knows about it, uh gets in the hands of one specific individual and next thing you know, you bump in the Marine in the Chow Hall, yeah man, I'm going to Afghanistan and it's like wow. It wasn't filtered across, you know, the board for everyone. Uh and the most qualified, best fit Marine to actually get it. Um, I don't think there's an easy answer or easy solution to it. However, I do believe that, you know, cross cross training, you know, does the guy to the left and right of you, the gal to the to the front and back of you, uh, left to right, know your job? You know, even if something specific as a lot of Marines, you know, well, I never got the opportunity to go to, to the corpus course. I didn't get the opportunity to go to the Sorens course. Why not? Because uh, my section wouldn't let me go. Because I'm the only guy in my shop that knows how to do the specific job. You know, when you're talking about critical MOSs or you're talking about uh, MOS like Stats on McGee's and things of that nature, um, you know, it's, I can kind of understand it. But when you're talking about a, a broad stroke, like yourself, for an example, Sarnt, you know, you and I have been out there in the Pacific, um, who knows how to do DTS, you know? Whereas the Marine Corps says all Marines are supposed to know how to do DTS. And I'm I'm the biggest doggone example of it because you do my DTS, though, Doc. And uh, I'll come <laughs> to you. Too. <laughs> hey, hey, Marine, uh, I'm going to, to, to California for BRC. Got you, Sergeant Major. You know, obviously, you know, I'll do my best to take care of you on the back end uh, and give you, you know, special incentive perk you know uh within the realm of of you know nothing crazy illegal immoral or unethical but basically i take care of you because you take care of me however when you leave here now what you know are you training staff sergeant thing on andy fister to know how to do dts are you training me are you coming in there saying ceo sergeant major sir i need y'all to sit down at 1300 uh, and we'll reschedule our podcast for later on, and I'm going to train you two gentlemen on DTS. So when I am gone, hey, you guys are full up around, and you know how to do it yourself. Case in point, Master Gunner Sergeant Bell, he knew how to do his own DTS. But I think him being in the realm of an RI gentleman to where he's always constantly traveling, you know, it became a priority for him to know how to do his own DTS, whereas the average Marine is not traveling at all, so why should I care about doing DTS? We go to Thailand, we go to Philippines, we go Cobra Gold and Battle Catan and all these different things. I'm not doing the DTS. You are. You're the good guy stuck in the office doing it. Man, and let me tell you, gentlemen, one of the biggest complaints, so there's a there's an admin uh, Facebook page where 
we ask questions, we share knowledge, we, you know, we, we give uh, the admin Marines inside of where open billets uh, are available, um, you know, for whatever rank. But uh, one of our biggest gripe and moans and our, the biggest, the most memes that we can make are related to DTS. Like, we're always complaining about DTS. We're always throwing out this scenario like, hey, da, 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 da. Don't want to go too much into it. Um, but yeah, just kind of going back to, I guess, you know, is there, is, obviously, re- retention is not the issue. Marines, you know, we're, we're obviously, I, I, I get to see the bolt spaces. The bolt spaces are filling up, uh, but it's, what are we doing? What was your question again, sir? Was the... To, to retain them. So something hit me when Sergeant Major was talking, and, you know, I got the flashbang in one hand and the confetti in the other, and I'll just throw some craziness out. Actually, I got to say one thing. Sergeant Major was speaking. Um, I'm, I suck at DTS. You, you do all my DTS. And it made me think about a young man. He's, he was a corporal. I believe he might have been promoted to sergeant after I left. His name was Corporal Oldman. He was a grunt that ended up in working in the S1 in 1st Battalion 8th Marines. And I never, I never knew that he was a grunt. For, for three years in that battalion, I never knew he was a grunt. And unfortunately, you learn about Marines after they're dead. And uh, he took his life uh, probably a year after I left that battalion. And it just made me think about him. And I just want to say that out loud, that, you know, these, it's a lot of crazy stuff going on out here. And that, that Marine really just hit my heart when you said that because he was the, the guy doing my DTS. Um, but here, here's the flashbang in Cavetti. Maybe we're recruiting wrong. Maybe this is a recruiting model problem because you know as recruiting, man, I'm, I'm touching Staff Sergeant McGee on the shoulder. When you go out and sell the Marine Corps, you don't sell a job. You sell being a Marine. And once you get that commitment, then you work on what jobs you qualify. Well, maybe that's wrong because what if I'm selling something to a young man or woman that I actually can't provide? So they pick that travel and adventure and now they're stuck in the IPAC in Lejeune for three years. Am I really mad at them for getting out? So, you know, I, I'm saying something crazy here. I am, I am saying maybe we are recruiting wrong by selling the Marine Corps because we can't provide the Marine Corps to every person. And we should be selling a job. Because if I sell you a job to come in and be an administrator for three to four years and work in an office, you see, all right, well, I'm going to get my administrative skill on. I'm going to get some benefits, some good child, some great housing. And then I'm going to get some money from school and get out. And guess what? I can build that into my manning model that you expect to leave in four years instead of, ah, I'm going to get them to re-enlist. But you didn't provide anything that you got them to commit to joining the Marine Corps for. And this is also something that can be tracked potentially. And, you know, let, you know, let, hey, of course, Marine Corps know, hey, these are the, or, you know, four years from now, these are the, the retention issues you might or might not face. You might have 100,000 Marines trying to re-enlist or, hey, you're only going to have about 15,000. And this way they could better plan and Guess how easy this is. As much as all the recruiters in the room hate McChris, McChris is one of the most beautiful systems I've ever seen. Because I can literally go in there and type in my name and look up the tags I chose when I joined the Marine Corps in 2001. So guess what the Marine Corps can do? Right now, we can look at everybody that left the Marine Corps this year, look at why they joined the Marine Corps, and ask ourselves, did we provide it? And then at the same time, we do have another system where we do EAS interviews, we do e- interviews like halfway through their, career, uh, through their enlistment, and we, you know, the career plan will ask you, hey, what are your thoughts about re-enlisting? And then, you know, they'll write down notes. Marine is intending not to re-enlist for certain reasons. He has been made aware of uh, his possible opportunities. 
and we yeah. could tie those it's two. It's called in. checking boxes. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah correct, true. correct. Because checking boxes. I've I've, I've been guilty and, and and I've done it, but um, we all have. You 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 could put those two systems. You know, there you go. You could track it. Sorry, I said I have to say I agree with you. Um, <clears throat> selling the Marine Corps versus selling the job. Um, that's the difference between us and the Army. Um, but there is a problem, and the problem is as a 17, 18 year old leaving high school, at least in my household. You know, the options were go to school, get a job. Yeah. School was an option for me because at the time I didn't think I was smart enough to go to college. So I was like, I'm going to get a job. But I didn't want to work at, you know, mom and pop shop. I wanted to do something better. So I joined the military, particularly the Marines. So those are my options. So was I, in other words, pre-so on becoming a Marine versus a job? Yes, but my my biggest concern was what I was going to do in the military. Yeah. So I guess being a prior service recruiter and when I talk to these Marines, especially 0311s, or different MOSs, when they come to my office, their first question is, can I lat move? Well, why did you become a grunt? Or why did right. you become arty? Or why did you do this? Well, I try to look for a job, but I can only be a security guard police officer. I want something that can give me some technical skills. Right. Okay, what do you, well, why did you do that? Well, yeah. when I went to the recruiter, I told them I wanted to be, you know, an MP or something like that. And they told me that that wasn't available, that I had to do all 311. So sometimes it's the institutional issue where, yeah, we want to get the applicants in the door to make mission, but at the same time, we have our own behind the scene. Hey, this is our quota. We need this. We MLS, live that life every day, of man. Course, I mean, McGee's sitting here. You have sold somebody on a job because you needed to fill that job and not because you believed that was in their best correct. interest. Which means that the benefit tax goes out the window. Because at this point, if I join for trial and adventure and you stick me as an 0111 and an IPAC for four years, yeah, I'm expected. You know what? This I tried it. I gave it the four years. I wanted to go to all these places. I didn't go nowhere but the barracks, the child, <laughs> and IPAC. Yeah, but then we get mad at the Marine for trying to get out, and then we essentially, he wants to get out, and then we just give up on him. Yeah. So I have a, I have a bit of a rebuttal, though, for that, right? Like, for let's take this, this MP. Um, versus infantry route. Because um, I actually experienced that one pretty recently where, you know, we had a dude and he, he was interested in MP and I think we talked about like security forces, but ultimately he, he wasn't qualified for it, right? His job or his, you know, dream job, he wants to, you know, be um, some kind of like federal level, um, you know, police officer. So now I'm now I'm looking at, what is best going to serve you that you're qualified for, right? And then when I'm having a conversation with this dude about infantry, um, well, hey, you're going to get a lot of weapons handling experience, obviously. You're going to have composure under pressure, right? The the physical fitness that's required. Um, there are a lot of traits that come along with that that fit him. Now, is it exactly what he wanted to do not necessarily but you got a lot of time to change you know your direction in the marine corps as well because is is infantry going to be worse than like standing at a gate and checking ids for a while <laughs> you know like, i got i don't i don't know like i don't think so um so we we have to do the best that we can for that person and the thing that they that they want to do and um that's a that's a fight that recruiters are out here fighting all the time. I don't think that we really ever sell someone on a job um, just to fill a spot. Jobs can be found somewhere, but qualification within a kid, uh, not necessarily. Yeah, I was going to say too, 
You get you get you can go to Okinawa, Japan. You can go to Hawaii. Uh, Fuji, Iwakuni. Uh out in Korea. Uh old, old Staff Sergeant Melvin Johnson. The Marines will still cry about they don't get to travel. You know, oh I didn't get to go to Thailand to, you know, Patio Beach. That was dog. You're in freaking Japan. What are you talking about? You didn't get to travel. Um, oh, that's a pretty know, big difference. And, <laughs> and I, I believe in those benefit tags. I, I, I really do. But, but I say that as a, as a 21, almost 22 year Marine. Um, because over that sustained period of time, every one of those benefit tags came into fruition, some way, form, or fashion. You know, may not even been what I liked, but a it came in, in into uh, fruition, whereas you take young devil dog that's only doing four years, sits in an IPAC, four years, only goes to the rifle range. I would say that's leadership because there's opportunity for every Marine. You know, and if it's, when we think of IA, we, we specifically think, you know, in country, i.e. Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever the case. There's all sorts of things on, you know, internal billets, the FAT program. You know, I think the FAT program is broken, uh, you know, leading to the point of what, what the CEO was saying about the young hard charger in the admin shop. Uh, he didn't even know he's a grunt. In, in most division units, you know, there may be two actual 0111s in that S1 shop. The rest of the Marines are, are 03s, whether they were broke, whether, you know, uh, just, yeah, they, they're pending, standing by for some legal or whatever, but. Uh, it goes back to cross-training. I mean, that was a big word when I came in the Marine Corps yeah. in my first four years. Like, it, you would get smoked if you was not cross-training. You know, as, as a supply Marine, I needed to know what the S-4 was doing, the O-4s, the embarkers, you know, and it was all related. It was all tied in. Yeah, you packed the Quad-Con, but the O-4 understands how to move the Quad-Con, uh, you know. And it made, honestly, Marines better. Now I think Marines, you know, are sold on a job, and that's all they want to do. Because we could flip this same conversation and say, okay, so you got Marines that, uh, you know, don't want to travel. You got Marines don't want to go to Dangon Quantico. Uh, you got Marines that, you know, are looking at it from, from other angles. I'm only here for college. You know, my recruiter man told me I can go to college. That's all I want to do. I don't, I don't want to get a black belt in martial arts. I just want college. But uh, I do think, uh, you know, the key word retention, uh, what do you say to the Marine that goes to combat three times in four years and loses a lot of his buddy? You know, and now he's sitting at the brink of reenlistment. You know, had a kid mid-stride two years in the Corps and has spent a total of nine months with his kid. You know, what do you say to him? Do you try to, you know, when he sets down with two commission officers for the uh, the capstone, you know, what do you say to him? Are you saying, well, yeah, man, you should stay because you got a kid and, you know, they can get free medical and dental. Or are you saying, hey, man, three combat thing on deployments in four years stretch. Uh, I understand why you want to move on. But I think there's a lot of incentive, man. You know, the 
you know, new retirement for, for the Marine who comes in and does three combat deployments in, in four years. He should have something that he could say for the rest of his life, hey, I got a piece of the Marine Corps as well. Not just, hey, I did three combat deployments, lost a lot of my buddies, and, and now I'm out of the Marine Corps and nobody gives a shit. Sometimes that's the guy that we see on the side of the road mm-hmm. with the sign saying, hey, I'll work for food, you know, uh, versus the guy like me who stays in for 21 years, uh, I haven't lost anybody's in combat, but I get paid, you know, every day on first of the month at the mailbox for the rest of my life. So, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of young Marines were coming to me, especially uh, when it first hit the fan as far as the new retirement. Uh, and all it takes is one person to sway a freaking opinion, you know, because I could go around this room right now, all dang on six of us, and ask, out of us six, who's got the most money saved up in a TSP? You know, obviously I won't do that. However, some of us sitting there may not even have the TSP, you know, because all it takes is one senior leader to sway that opinion. You know, uh, retired Master Gunner Sergeant Matty Knox told me on deployment, do not do TSP. They're going to rip you off. You're going to lose a lot of money. Blah, blah, blah. I was a Lance Corporal. I didn't start my TSP until I was a salty gunner song. Imagine if he would have said, oh, hell yeah, Clay. You need to jump on that TSP, man. You know, whether you put 2% in it, 3%. Now I'm sitting here as a Sergeant Major, 21 years. I ain't going to say I'd be rich, but I'd be a whole lot better off. You know, instead of trying to freaking do the what they call it, the plus up or the bump up, mm-hmm. you know, trying to make up for all those lost years because that one uh, senior leader that swayed pain. So I think with retention, a lot of it, I think recruiters should be tied in out in our fleet units a lot better than what they are. I think you should be on the back for whatever you did outside of your normal MOS to sustain out in the fleet. Because if you take all the recruiters in the command out in the fleet, they know how to sell dang on Marine. And, and from a standpoint of, hey, yeah, that Marine's a little bit more saltier. He's been in four years now, eight years. But that recruiter, like the major said, can go back in McChris and say, hey, dog, well, you said you wanted traveling adventure, you know, but you've been here in the IPAC for eight years. You take these next orders, you're going to get that, you know. However, uh, we don't utilize you know, a lot of our, our secondary MOSs cross-train, as I said earlier, and it hurts retention overall. Okay, so, you know, we've been kind of kind of talking about, you know, the, the issues that the Marine Corps uh, is facing right now, um, not in regards to retention, but just trying to, you know, what, what, whatever else. But I just want to give you guys a couple factors as to why Marines are still re-enlistment, right? And the number one, and this was back in 2016 because they haven't released any new data, um, is the number one reason why Marines are likely to re-enlist is their pride in being a Marine. And uh, number two, and I'll just give you guys number three as well, is your ability to lead and train Marines and uh, your paying allowance, which is kind of weird because Marines are likely to re-enlist because of your paying allowances, but then the number one reason they got out is for civilian job opportunities. Ah, you want to say something about that? Yeah, yeah. so it's just funny because if... I love the pain allowances thing because it. I tell you, the the longer I stay in, you know, I got three kids. The harder it is to think about getting out, right? Because like we do, our paying allowances are very generous when compared to a lot of 
entry level civilian positions. I think the trap that a lot of Marines fall into is that there are civilian opportunities and maybe it's something they want to do. Some of these um some of these younger Marines get get it in their heads that um they're going to uh you know go make 90k somewhere like off the bat after a four year enlistment, you know, with a non technical MOS and, and a lot of times that's not reality. But those top three reasons, you know, I guess I'll kick this off. Those top three reasons of why you listed in this survey resonate with me personally and, and, and our arguments for why I've continued to take orders and, and accept a career designation and I've been in. Um, prior to being Marine, you know, the thought I talked earlier about possibly getting out, the thought of getting out is an emotional decision to me. I mean, like an actual emotional decision. Like it, it, the thought of taking off the camis and not putting back on, um, which I'm sure PSR is like, ears are perking up. That's, that's the selling point, right? <laughs> but the thought of taking off the camis and not putting them back on again, it, it hurts emotionally. But that's one of the reasons why I've stayed in. The ability to lead and train Marines is, I mean, that's what I love. I love working with Marines. You know, I'm here. I, I come down to your office all the time to talk and, and, and hang out with you guys because that's a part of this job that I love. I love to be able to provide you whatever influence and guidance I can. Um, but, you know, Marines that I had that, that wanted to stay in and were re-enlisted was because literally they loved it. They loved every day they got to wake up. Not every day was a great day, but every day was at least, you know, a good day for them. Um, a lot of it was positive mental attitude and where even on the crappiest day, like they could find something to, to look, you know, to hold on to that there was a really positive experience. Some of them just love the, the continue to love the travel and adventure because they do take it as travel and adventure. You know, some Marines are like, hey, Okinawa might be kind of, you know, it's Okinawa, but hey, it's not, you know, if I'm from rural Arkansas, Okinawa is a whole lot different compared to where they might have come from. So um, those top three reasons of likely to re-enlist are, are, are fall right in line with my experiences with, with talking to Marines about, you know, hey, why are they staying in? I think a lot of them, you even get the, we talked about the flip side, like toxic leadership, but there are the ones that say, hey, I want to stay in because I do want to be the change that I want to see. And those are usually like your really good feel-good stories and you're excited to re-enlist them and keep them in the Marine Corps and hopefully keep them around because usually after they re-enlist, the monitor snaps them up somewhere. So, what's uh? Could you give us a, a quick story? Um, one of your most uh, I guess terrible times, uh, as as a marine. Yeah. So, um, I think it doesn't have to be like a person. Well, no. Nah, I mean, I, I can I can make it relatable. Um, you know, to me, the time that that I really enjoyed and, and it, so it, my wife always rolls her eyes when I talk about my deployment in 2017 because it was to Sicily with the SP MAGTAF, so it was more of a glorified six-month vacation, right? Um, but that was a really cool time because there was a lot of company-grade officers around, and, and it, was, it was a time when I was transitioning from being a lieutenant to being a captain, and it was a really good time for me because, um, you know, fortunately, they didn't kick me out of the, uh, the company-grade officer club, as we renamed it, um, as I pinned on during that deployment, but it was an important time because I was with my peers. We were spending a lot of time together. Um, just from simple things that I think we take for granted sometimes is that we get to hang out with Marines all day, and you, you, you build a lot of friendships and things like that. So there are people that absolutely have impacted my life um, that I'm still friends with, that I talk to routinely, um, that, that just the people that I've met and, and I guess the friends that we've made, right? Like the friends that we made along the way, that's kind of the cheesy way of saying it, but I think that's really important to me. And it's, it's, it was a really cool time, you know, when you're deployed, even in a, in a super safe environment like Sicily, you're still doing your job. Usually we work six days a week. So you're, you're, you're building competency. Um, but that time was just really cool because uh, I got to kind of, I, I was in operations for a, a logistics unit. So I was able to kind of refine my personal craft, you know, my MOS as a logistics officer. I was able to really build some bonds with some peers who I'm still very, very close with. Um, and they're, you know, the Marines are right there all day long. We're all living in the same barracks. So kind of the big three things that I care about, you know, being able to lead and, and hang out with Marines, 
um, the opportunities to deploy and stuff like that. So that was just a really cool time in my Marine Corps recently. It actually kind of refreshed coming back from that deployment, um, kind of refreshed. And that's why how I ended up here on recruiting duty because I was actually looking at getting out after that. So I, I decided I want to stick it in. This opportunity arose and here I am. That's, that, that's crazy you say that because uh, I just started thinking about something. Um, for those that don't know, we're not at a military installation. You know, we are located here in Norcross, Georgia, in some industrial plaza, right, where we have about how many Marines would you say on, in this building? About 15, 16? Yeah, 15 at, to 16 in this building. We have about 15, 16 Marines, and these are the only Marines that I get to interact with for, for the most part, Monday through Friday. Um, I'm not on the base and uh, I've seen a, a different side and it's it's made me appreciate times when I was in Japan um, because here, you know, how many how many sergeants do we have in this building? We have three sergeants. Those are my peers um, versus when I was in Japan I had dozens. And I was just thinking about how some of my well, some of my best times were maybe not in Japan, but the friends I made along the way, I was just ex ex exactly what you said. It's crazy. I have, uh, I have about three different group chats that I'm in um, about just old friends about, of old Marines uh, that, that I've met along the way. Uh, a lot of them have, have actually like, transitioned out the Marine Corps. And I reached out to them. I was like, hey, what, what, you know, what, why were some of the reasons you got out? Some of the reasons we talked about. Um, and it's just, it's just crazy. But uh, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to go with you, Staff Sergeant. Um, what is uh, some of the, your best times in the Marine Corps? Well, I didn't pick the travel and the, and the venture benefit tag, I can tell you that right now, but that ended up being the best time. I was uh, with the 26 Mu uh, back in 2008. Um, we went to different type of countries. So, I mean, those times being at those ports were the best time for me. Um, and, you know, it ties into what you both gentlemen said, um, you know, those relationships I built with those friends, those experiences we went through together. I mean, even when we got back stateside, I mean, me talking to my fellow corporal that was on the plane with, with me, we had a more of a closer bond than talking to another corporal that I just met. Um, right, just because right. we, we, you know, we both, both were exposed to that experience and went through it together. Um, so it does, it does build that, that network for you, um, you know, whether it's military or civilian wise. But I mean, the best time for me, like I said, was, was deployment. Um, you see a different side of people um, compared to being in garrison. Um, but that's one of the best things um, for me personally. Why, you know, you chose to stay in and stuff like that. Um, some of the features uh, the Marine Corps has, you know, and I, I think the best one, it's, it's the retirement. The retirement system i mean after 20 years where can you say you can you know collect a, a pension at the age of 38 or 40 where can you go and collect you know most civilian establishment out here anything close to it is a 22-year retirement you know that you yeah. can collect at the age of 59 and a half so you still have to wait till you're almost 60 to collect meanwhile in the marine corps you know you can collect right away so yeah. it's, it's it's a different system out there um it's something that i when i talk to you know potential applicants that are trying to come into the marine corps or fire service marines that you know after four or five years got out and trying to come back in you know i, I asked them what, what do you got going on what do you long terms you know because when i was 17 even 22 years old i didn't think about what i'm gonna be doing at the age of 40 like, yeah. you know because in society if you look at your parents or your, your, your you know your family or your friends you see they're still working and they're 40 almost 50 years old and they're like okay that's gonna be me but you have the opportunity now at a young age to sacrifice some time might not be family time like the major said but you have the opportunity to sacrifice some time and in the end it's gonna pay its dividends yeah, and um, I'm sorry. The reason why I brought up the whole being stationed here in Atlanta, Georgia, was that uh, was because I've been I've been kind of forced to make friends that are not Marines, right? Um, and it's 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 different. You know, they they cannot relate. 
to what my what my day to day is, right? I can relate to them for for the most part, but I just can't go talking to them, man. Like this happened at work because they just won't understand. Versus when I was on a base, um, I had a you know a, a, a marine roommate. Now now I have a thirty eight year old roommate who's a bank teller at some bank here. Um, and like even then, I I still can't go to him. Like these are my my experiences that I'm going through with work, you know. And he and even if I do tell him, because I have in the past. He'll give me some some civilian answer, approach it this way, and I was like, "Dog, that's not how it works in the Marine Corps. Like, you don't understand." And it's it's not his fault, you know, it's, and it's not my friend's fault. Um, but yeah, that that's pretty much the the reason why I brought it up. Um, you got a story, Staff Sergeant, Staff Sergeant McGee? Um, <clears throat> yeah. So there's a lot of stories, uh, you know, involving like the close friends and stuff like that that. I'm not ready to tell in this forum, um, <laughs> but the, you know, we, we, keep we talked real. about earlier, um, how, you know, we can create these opportunities for, for junior Marines, very unique experiences, stuff like that. Right. Um, I was out on a, uh, on a Westpac, we were going from, uh, Japan down to Australia and they needed a maintainer to, you know, take a look at the jets in Guam, which is, you know, halfway. So uh, I got on a plane with um, one of the captains, went down there, just took a look at the jets, thought it was going to be pretty straightforward until the captain knocks on my door and says, here's the CO's phone, the CO's car keys. Um, I'm heading off to Australia. We'll figure out a way to get you there. You know, so then I was sitting there in Guam by myself, like terrified that I was going to get in trouble. Um, after a couple of days, I had ended up catching a ride up to Okinawa where I met another one of our pilots uh, as I was getting on a C-130. And, you know, they brought me up to the cockpit of the C-130 for takeoff. I thought it was kind of cool, you know, just being in there, but it wasn't anything super special. Co-pilot gets out of the seat. They put me in the seat. You know, hey, this is what this does. This is what this does. This is what this does. I'm taking autopilot off. You got it. You know? And... So I spent, yeah, like looking at him like he was fans. crazy. I just, I, I just put myself in that exact same scenario and I was yeah. like, what the? <laughs> so, you know, I spent um, probably about a, I don't know, hour and a half up there. Yeah. Totally safe. Just kind of dodging clouds and things like that. But that was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Crazy. The, uh, the actual pilot, I think was the CEO of that, um, of the C-130 squadron. He was a MESEP guy. Right. And. You know, for whatever it's worth, hopefully they do that kind of thing a lot. But, you know, you see somebody that you can give them a good deal, you know, something like that is, is, is a pretty good deal. And that's the kind of thing that can change someone's perspective, right? And so I think we ought to be looking for opportunities to do similar type of things for our Marines. Um, and not just sending them to the pistol range, you know, but. Yeah, con- yeah, yeah. That's Continue. But, um. Yeah, I mean that would, that was I think one of the one of my favorite things that I've ever done as an individual in the Marine Corps, and it's an opportunity that wouldn't have come around in any other place. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, does anybody have any departing words? I know I didn't get to you, sir, uh, Major Wilson. I know you're eating, but no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm pretty sure you got some crazy story. Real quick, just like uh, the staff are, I've been to Thailand, Philippines, and all the other places that I won't tell stories about. So, 
we can't talk about those things. Um, for me, it's kind of a gift and a curse, and I'll be the like super generic, like stereotypical grunt. My best times in the Marine Corps were uh, as a second lieutenant in combat, flat out. It shaped everything that I've thought about the Marine Corps. It shaped the type of leader I am. It shaped a lot of the type of man I am. And, you know, it's it's out in the streets of Ramadi killing people and staying alive. And, I mean, just coming back from a firefight and puking because I was just so exhausted and, and no clue how we made it back alive and just sitting on the ground laughing with my, my radio operator. Corporal, uh, last Corporal Boone at the time, just laughing about the ridiculousness that we just lived through. Um, putting Marines on a helicopter and kissing them on the head, telling them they were going to be okay when I thought they were going to die, just lying to their face because it was the thing to do. Um, the horrible times were the best times because they shaped everything that I believe in as a Marine. Now, that's a curse because a lot of the bullshit in this organization, I don't buy it. Because I've lived the reality of it. And you're not going to ever change me. I don't care. No one's ever going to change certain things about the way I see this organization. And what's really important. Um, but those are my best times, man. Exchanging rounds with a determined and well-trained and committed enemy. Uh, with men that were far better than me. Because what it's done is for my entire career. And probably the rest of my days on this earth. I will live knowing that I am inadequate to hold the position and be in charge of the people that I actually am because they are far better than me and I will never live up to the standards that they deserve but I'll try every day so I would say you are one of one of the few marines that get to experience what the commercials tell us what the marine commercials tell us it's so, true comes you know, at a cost though you know it comes at a very very high true. cost and not and not 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 everybody could be an infantryman not everybody could go through the same experience um but with that being said if if you are looking to get out, um, if you think the Marine Corps is, is not for you, just uh, just make sure that you have a plan, you know, because too many Marines get out not having a plan. They just say, you know what, I'm going to go to school, but don't even research what it takes to get accepted into a school, um, whether I got, you know, whatever it is, take your SAT, whatever it is. And, uh, and if you decide to stay in the Marine Corps, make sure that you stay in for the right reasons as well. Um, it is competitive, so if you do decide to stay in, make sure that you know you're you're putting your best foot forward every single day because there's someone out there that is currently doing that that has the same MOS as you. Um, last last words, anyone? Well, before you decide to get out, if um, educate yourself. Um, so if you're really in the fence of whether to stay in for another four years or just get out the Marine Corps and you know partake in the civilian life. I uh, know. Explore your options. Give me a call, 404-518-8268, and we can explore your options in the Marine Corps Reserve side of the house. Um, I may possibility for you to do both, you know, be a civilian at the same time, partake in the Marine Corps. So think so, about it. So one funny anecdote, Sir Mejia, um, that brings a, encapsulates what you were just discussing, right? What you do, your final point you just made. I had two Marines, right, uh, exit interviews when I was company commander. One sits down in my office and. Um, he says he wants to be a zookeeper. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's awesome. So what have you done? Standard questions like, what have you done to prepare that? He's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, what, what are you going to do to become a zookeeper? And uh, the short version is, is that he didn't realize he had to go to college to, to study that. And uh, ultimately, he actually had no plan. 
Contrast that with the other Marine who sat down in front of me and he says, I'm going to go be a bounty hunter. I said, I'm sorry. He said, yes, sir. I'm going to California. I'm going to be a bounty hunter. I said, I, please talk me through that. And this dude showed me. He laid out everything he needed to do. He had already begun working on getting his certificate to be able to work as a basically a bail. You know, a fancy bail bonds, bondsman, right? right? To do all that. And he had all his ducks in a row. And I said, you know what? Best of luck to you, devil. Like, if you can go out there and be like Dog the Bounty Hunter, you clearly done your research. So, it, absolutely. It's all about if you say you're going to do something, at least know the steps to get you there. Now, is it, is it crazy to say for that? That Marine that wanted to be a zookeeper, you're going to be like, you know what, devil, you're not clearly ready to exit out the Marine Corps. We're going to extend you for another two months, and we're going to tell headquarters Marine Corps, hey, the reason why we're sending the Marine because he's not ready to get out. I don't know if that's reasonable because uh, at that point, uh, I feel like then, I'm going to be honest with you, as a commander, then I have to deal with him for two months. That is and, true. And, and then, he is not going to be in it. And then someone could say, well, his leadership kind of failed him. Hey, you know what? I, it's a fair criticism, too. <laughs> I, it's a fair criticism, but... The reality is, is you know exactly those types of Marines. If those Marines were about to get out and they said, hey, actually, Marine Corps is going to keep you for two months, what? That would be off the charts. Like, it would be out of control what that Marine would be like. That's like those Lance Corporals of the IPAC. Yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. For, for those of y'all who don't know, Mejia is like the enforcer in here. So he's like looking at us like, hey, wrap it up, wrap it up. So. I love telling stories, though, so I couldn't resist. But here, here's the thing, and I hate to be, like, morbid with this, but it's the reality in Ars Atlanta right now and really just in the Marine Corps. We're having a lot of conversations about suicide. So I'll, I'll answer your question of, you know, that last word from Major Wilson to the Marine that's thinking of getting out. Don't apply a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you hate the Marine Corps right now, and that's your reason for getting out, or whatever your reason is, just ensure that the the semi-permanent solution of leaving behind a career and an opportunity that very few people get is not predicated off of you hate Major Wilson or whatever boss, insert name or insert billet or insert duty station. Just no permanent solutions to, uh, to short-term problems. With that being said, wrap it up, gentlemen.